You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric. And this is episode 22. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to make this a little two-parter. It's going to be a two-part episode. Because it's a crazy one. It's a crazy one. Crazy Eric. two-parter. Crazy two-parter. It's going to be about the acid bath murderer by the name of John George Hay. So something I get to think about for two whole episodes. Two whole weeks you get this. I'm going to start buying cartons of cigarettes. <laughs> Please don't. Okay. <laughs> Let's just get into it. So John Hay was born July 24th, 1909 in Stamford, Lincolnshire, England to Emily and John Hay Sr. He was raised in the village of Outwood, West Riding of Yorkshire. Both of his parents were members of the Plymouth Brethren. The Plymouth Brethren is a, quote, nonconformist Christian movement whose history can be tracked back to Dublin, Ireland in the mid to late 1820s. The group emphasizes the belief that the Bible is the supreme authority for church doctrine and practice over and above any other source of authority. Plymouth Brethren generally see themselves as a network of like-minded free churches, not as a Christian denomination, unquote. Oh, a cult. Yeah, a little, a little culty-ish, I guess you could say. A little, a little crazy. Um, so John would later say that he, quote, suffered from recurring religious nightmares in his childhood, unquote. So that kind of just shows you, you know, this religion in his childhood kind of affected him a little bit, I would say. So the Bible was his only form of entertainment because even playing sports in this religion was forbidden. So it just shows you this kid probably stayed inside a lot. <laughs> Cult. <laughs> John also stated that his only friends were the family's pets and his neighbor's dog. How sad is that? That's horrible. I know. I mean, it's nice to have a dog, but... Mm, true. John's father even put up a 10-foot fence around their property in order to isolate John and restrict any social contact from the outside world. So his father sounds like a great, great man. According to John's father, the world was evil and the family needed to keep themselves separate. His father even told him that he had started to form a blue blemish on his head and that was resulted from John's sinning. This terrified John as he now thought that he was developing a sign of the devil. His father told, his, told him that his mother had no such mark because she was an angel. The old sinner bruise. Yep. Sinner <laughs> <laughs> So it was then that John started to feel kind of invincible. After lying and committing small crimes, he realized that no such blemish would ever appear and that this just made him think that he could do anything since he wasn't getting this blemish that his dad was talking about, you know. So John growing up, he had an odd sense of humor and he was bullied a lot in school. In return, he was just kind of a dick to everyone around him. For like, for instance, one time he pulled a stool out of um, from under an elderly woman who was about to play like the organ when she was going to sit down. So she like fucking fell. She's old, you know. And then another time he chased a fucking pig around until the poor thing died from exhaustion. 
Like, what a dick. Dick kid. But, I mean, his father treating him like shit. I mean, that doesn't mean that you should treat other people like that. But yeah, Those things aren't that bad, though. I mean... I know, the pink but... Guide, of course, it's horrible, but... Just, you've told me more stories of these that's true. guys in their younger year that were doing a lot worse things. Very true. This is very true. Um, but as a result from all this stuff, John was actually beaten by his father... Um, especially because, you know, of killing the pig. He was... Uh, is that where his <laughs> sinner bruise came from, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> was his father, yes. It probably was. He just said it was something else. So, um, John was actually an amazing piano player, and he had to learn it, obviously, from home by himself. He really loved classical music as well as, um, I guess, as much as he could attend concerts and stuff. He attended many of them. He first won a scholarship to Queen Elizabeth Grammar School, Wakefield, and then another to Wakefield Cathedral. And this is where he became a choir boy. Weren't you a choir boy? No. no I mean, I was in like, I guess a choir, singing for the holidays and stuff. You did. You were a choir boy. What are you talking about? I don't want to say it like I wasn't a choir boy. (laughs) You lit the candles and such. Uh, Fuck off. (laughs) wasn't a cult. <laughs> okay, anyways. Well, maybe a larger cult, but who knows? Mm, who knows? After completing school... I do. <laughs> after a year of being an apprentice, he was hired to do different jobs in insurance and advertising. But at the age of 21, he was fired after he was suspected of stealing from a cash box. He would later go on to uh, forging car documents. On July 6th, 1934... When John was 24 years old, just about to turn 25, he married 23-year-old Beatrice Hammer, a.k.a. Betty. I'm just going to call her Betty. Unfortunately, this marriage would fall apart pretty fast. The same year that John and Betty got married, John was arrested for fraud. Betty was pregnant with their baby girl while he was in jail, and after giving birth, she placed her up for adoption and then left John. So that's pretty sad. It was then that John's very, very conservative family didn't really want anything to do with John anymore. John was released from jail and decided to move to London in 1936, and that is where he became a chauffeur for William Mixwan, who was a wealthy owner of amusement arcades. He would end up leaving this job with William and created a new persona for himself. He went by William Cato Adamson. That was his new name. So he told people he was a solicitor with many different offices, but he was really selling fraudulent stocks and shares to different people. But his downfall was misspelling his own name on one of the letterheads and someone noticed it and reported him. So he was sentenced to four years for fraud. While serving the last few months in jail, John realized that the only reason for him getting caught was that these people were still alive. So it's like... If they were dead, then these people can alert the authorities and he wouldn't get caught. He's got a point. I mean, he kind of does. It's horrible. So John, while in, uh, in jail, John learned about French murderer George Alexander Serrett. George Alexander was a lawyer who turned himself into an insurance scammer who killed two people and disposed his victims in sulfuric acid. Um, so yeah, this guy, I read that this, this guy that he was, this French murderer, he like had two lovers and then he would get these women to find men that were unhealthy pretty much. So they were in their like last years and I think they would like 
give them something. I, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it was. But then these men would die and then he would collect all their insurance money and then stick their bodies in acid. And he was technically the first acid bath murderer. So this is where John got his ideas. And I even read that John, while he was in jail, would practice with acid and rats. But I don't know, like, I don't know how the fuck you get acid in jail. I've never been to jail, so I know you can get a lot of shit in there. But, like, I don't know how he would get acid. I'm sure you'd see some rats running around, but I don't know about that. good hookup. So when John was finally released from prison in 1943, he ran into his old employer, William McSwan, at a pub. Like I had mentioned earlier, he was the the guy that um, John was chauffeuring for. Mm-hmm. So John found out that William was now working for his parents, William Sr. and Amy McSwan. Uh, his father, though, I'm not going to, there's so many Williams. So William Sr., who is um, William, William McSwan's father, he also went by Donald because that was his middle name. So I'm just going to call him Donald McSwan and Amy McSwan. That's William McSwan's parents. So he was working for them at the time, collecting rent from different London properties that they had had. Although William would actually turn out to be John's first victim. John was just jealous of William's lifestyle and he wanted to collect as much money as possible because he just, you know, wasn't really living the best life. So on September 6th, 1944, William disappeared. John brought William to his place of work at 79 Gloucester Road and took him down to the basement. John hit him over the head with a blunt object and then slit his throat. He then proceeded to stuff William's body into a 40-gallon drum and poured acid into it to dissolve his body. John then claimed that he drank a mug of William's blood. And it was a day later that he went back and he opened the drum up and he found, like, black sludge in there. And he poured the uh, rest of the remains down a manhole drain. John seemed to, after some time... His William's parents, they were like wondering where his son, you know, they hadn't seen his son in a while. They were like wondering where he was. So they asked John, like they knew that they had been, you know, hanging out. They asked John if that if he knew where he was. And John told them that he had fled to Scotland to avoid being drafted into the war. Because I believe at this time it was World War Two that was going on. But by the end, you know, the war was calming down. It's about to end. And William still had not returned home. So his parents began to get very skeptical as to what really happened to him. John started noticing their curiosity, like William's parents, like, you know, frantically wondering where their son is. And that led John to kill both of his parents, both of Will's parents, his father and his mother, on July 2nd, 1945, in the exact same place and in the exact same way that their son was murdered. In this basement, hit over the head, and then thrown into a drum with acid. He like he's like I was saying he he would lure William in there. He did the same thing. He lured his parents in there, thinking they were thinking they were gonna go see their son. Like his son had returned, and he was just staying, you know, with Will or whatever. I mean, sorry, with John. And so he was like, yeah, like let's go see your son. So he lured him down there. Like I said, he hit him over the head, and then placed their bodies in acid as well. So he stole Donald. This is Will's father. He stole his pension checks, and somehow he also sold all of his properties and accumulated about six thousand pounds. It was at this time that John was living at the Onslow Court Hotel at Kensington in room 404. He was obviously having money problems, and now he actually had a gambling addiction, and his funds were running extremely low. So in order to get more money, he needed to find another victim, and that's exactly what he did. He rented a small workshop in Crawley, Sussex, 
uh, which was about an hour from London. He took the acid barrels with him to store in this workshop. John came across an advertisement by Dr. Archibald Henderson and his wife, Rose Henderson, where they were selling their house. John introduced himself under a false name to the couple, and he told them that he was an inventor and engineering firm liaison officer for the Union Engineering Group. He definitely could not afford this house, so his intention was just to befriend the couple. John spent five months gaining just more knowledge on the couple while, while he was like literally plotting against them the entire time. So this couple, they had bought a new house and John was their friend. So they invited him over so they, you know, could just have a little, a new housewarming for their new house. And they had like a big piano there. So he started playing for them and they were having a great time. But while he was at the housewarming party, John stole one of Dr. Henderson's guns. It was then that John finally told Dr. Henderson that he wanted to show him his new invention and uh, Dr. Henderson agreed to go to go see, you know, this new invention. So he wanted to take him to his, his, his workshop. So after arriving at the workshop, John shot Dr. Henderson in the head with his own gun. After killing Dr. Henderson, John called his wife, Rose, and she just stated that her husband was ill and that she needed to come over right away. Once she arrived, he shot her in the head as well and placed both of their bodies in barrels in acid. John then forged a letter in Dr. Henderson's name, giving him full control of their assets, and then he sold all of their possessions, amounting to 8,000 pounds. And he also kept their car and their dog. The year was 1949 now, and John was still living at the same hotel, the Onslow Court Hotel. He was now telling people that he was an engineer, and that is exactly what his last victim, Olive Durant Deacon thought. Olive was a very wealthy woman. She was actually staying in the same hotel at the Onslow Court Hotel. So that's how she kind of ran into John. She actually, it was so sweet. She came um, up with an idea of false fingernails and she told John about this. So John felt that he had the opportunity to invite Olive to his workshop to hear all about her idea. On February 18th, 1949, Olive made the way with John to his workshop, but once they arrived, John shot Olive in the neck with Dr. Henderson's gun. John took all of her jewelry and her expensive Persian fur coat and put her in the acid bath. It was two days later that Constance Lane, one of Olive's friends, reported her missing. And I think we're going to stop right there for part one. I'm on the edge of my seat. I know. Just wait until what they find next week. Part I'm going to take some acid in between these episodes. I don't think. <laughs> that's that's what you want. That's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the best idea. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Part two next week. Episode twenty-three. Episode twenty-three. We're gonna hear about all these missing people and what happens to good old John Hay. So uh, stay tuned, be safe, and stay aware. Love you guys.